Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Vicki. We are two medical speech pathologists who share a love of dogs, sarcasm, and holiday pay. The medical field can be intense. Just ask any nurse. So to do our part to combat the exhaustion and add a sprinkle of humor, we created this podcast. Join us each week where we interview a different guest that works in some capacity of healthcare. They will share their personal stories, ups and downs, and moments that truly will leave you speechless. All right. So for our inaugural guest, we have my mom, Nancy. And just start telling us a little bit about you, where you're at in healthcare, and a little bit about your experience. Well, um, first of all, thanks for having me. I appreciate being on the very first episode. Um, healthcare. Well, the reason I got into healthcare, I think, is because I was a nurse's aide at the age of 14. Um, I was in an acute rehab and um, I really enjoyed the diversity that was there. So it was anything from young children, brain injuries, car accidents, to strokes, to chronic uh, medical di- conditions like ALS or MS. Um, from there, I went to nursing school. When I got out of nursing school in 1984, well, I went to work at an 80-bed <laughs> hospital and uh, in that 80-bed hospital, I probably had more experiences that were speechless than any other time in my um, career. But after that, um, we moved, and I ended up working in a 400-bed hospital. Um, Talk about a transition. <laughs> right. So I was working um, ICU and uh, post-anesthesia care unit in the small hospital which translates to wherever there was a crisis you went, to a 400-bed hospital where I worked in the uh, surgery, actually was a surgical nurse, and then became a uh, manager of a outpatient uh, surgical unit. Um, at that time, I guess I realized that I kind of got away from my mission, which was taking care of people and being with patients and having long-term relationships. So. For some reason in my head, I quit my full-time job, um, had two small children and a husband, moved three states away, and went to NP school and became a family nurse practitioner. Just a quick change in your life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. At a time where everybody thought I was crazy, but I think there's been a lot of those times, so. Yeah, something's never changed. That's okay. Yeah. What? So then. um, What made you at that point go back to become an NP? Because I feel like nowadays it's a a more natural, common kind of progression. But I felt like when you did it, not so much. Like you went and you were a nurse and you might move the ranks or change settings, but maybe not make the full jump of going back to school. What was like your push? Yeah, I think the push was. I really didn't enjoy being a manager, doing leadership. And in surgical nursing, your patients aren't awake. And so you don't get to have relationships. And I knew that I really wanted to get back to having relationships and long-term relationships with patients. So um, that's why I went back to um, nurse practitioner or your master's degree at that time. But there weren't very many schools, and, of course, there was nothing online. Um, so it was very competitive to get into and in the state of Wisconsin, where I actually 
went to school, there were only three schools at that time that were even had programs. Wow. And they took about 24, pay, 24 nurse practitioner students a year. Wow. So it was extremely competitive. And um, I was very fortunate to to be able to get into one of those classes and went to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire because that's the closest one we lived to. It was still about a two-hour drive that I did every day and clinicals. And so I had a great husband that helped to take care of two little kids. Yeah, he's um, all right. <laughs> I can attest to that. He's above average. <laughs> yeah. So then um, I did that for about 20 years and then felt a little bored. And that's the best part of nursing. When you start to get bored, you just put on a different hat and change your career up a little bit. And I went to end-of-life care. And that's where I am now as hospice and palliative care. Started at a little teeny nonprofit hospice and now work for quite a large uh, nonprofit hospice. And I'm really proud of the fact that I get to um, have the privilege to sit with people at end of life. That's a heavy job, too, because there's a lot of people who like more of the maybe the surgery units where you're right. Most of your patients aren't awake because they're coming out of anesthesia and you're not really having to do a lot of counseling and interactions. But end of life is that's tough. Yeah, it's like a whole different right. thing. I, I remember, too, growing up most of my life, you were family practice. And I remember when you <laughs> made that transition, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be an absolute nightmare. Because you're you're such a crier. You're such a hugger. You're such, a, like, a, an emotional human. And I was just like, there's no way that you will last doing end-of-life care because it'll drive you crazy and you won't be able to, like, maintain your own, like, mental health doing that I was like you cry at like commercials you cry like just like (laughs) you are that person and I just thought "Uh uh-oh and then like to see you start like a whole second career after so many years in family practice I was just like huh seems like it's going surprisingly well (laughs) yeah and I think it's just the ultimate um challenge and like I said privilege to to be in families and patients' lives at this time, but it all comes with its quirkiness. Um, it all comes with, you know, a lot of fun stories and, and fun memories. It's not all sad, but I used to say when I worked family practice and people would say, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a nurse practitioner, you know, doing primary care. They'd want to know everything or they'd want <laughs> me to look at the mole on their, you know, focus. <laughs> yeah okay it, you know, actually why we're here you're like perfect <laughs> yeah. um so can you check this out over here on my armpit exactly <laughs> yeah and then when you go to hospice and you're like I'm a hospice nurse practitioner they're like well good for you yeah and that was it it's we just like so taboo culturally yeah. we're not good at, yeah. at doing it and I think yeah. it's kind of funny because I feel like hospice end of life you as a nurse practitioner doing that is really similar to us being speech pathologists where it's like no one knows what you do, but everyone thinks they know what you do, right? Like everyone thinks that we teach kids how to say their S's and R's and everyone thinks that, you know, like end of life is like this sad, morbid, like how would you possibly do that? And it's like, but if you really like open that conversation, you like actually find out what people do. You're like, oh, I had no idea that was even like, Right. remotely part of it. Whereas well, like when you say family practice, everyone knows like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And everybody thinks hospice is a place. 
Absolutely. <laughs> That's yeah. very true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's you like the, the graveyard, the, like that's it. Right. And it's this morbid, right. scary thing. Right. Yep. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's, it's such a different, um, from family practice where people come to you and, uh, end of life, you, you know, you get to go to them. So it's, it's pretty cool. And, um, I wouldn't change a thing, um, about the last almost 40 years, 40 years. She doesn't look a day yeah. over 20, folks. She's so pretty. <laughs> I was going to say, 40 years. That doesn't add up. Yeah. You're only 30. <laughs> oh, just keep talking. Well, <laughs> 40 years, I'm sure. I mean, I've been blessed the last 30 to hear more than my fair share of your stories. So I'm sure trying to narrow down which ones are even top 10 is a task. But... Let's just start with one that kind of stands out to you. Right. Well, I, and I have to say that, you know, when we do sit down at the dinner table, you know, every night, and I still do with just my husband, but with my kids too, and you'd go around and ask how the day was, that nobody really wanted to know how my day was. But, <laughs> it was like a um, courtesy. I was more than happy to share a lot of the great things that, that happened, but when I think back, I think I, I go back to when I was first a nurse, um, lived out west in that small little 80-bed hospital where you were jack-of-all-trades as a nurse, and I was working in the ICU. And um, it was Christmas Eve, and um, we had four patients in the ICU and two nurses, which is fine. That works out to two ICU patients each, and, and that usually that's quite doable. Um, unfortunately, we had a young woman who had um, suffered a blood clot in her leg and had just gotten up to our unit, you know, a few hours before and the clot came loose and went to her heart. And so um, she ended up going into a, a rhythm that um, is, is deadly if you don't do something. And so we call that a code blue. And essentially, we started to do CPR on her. Um, we called for more help. We knew she was going to have to be intubated which is put a breathing tube down her throat. But we really believed that we could probably do um, good things with this and that she would have a good outcome. Meanwhile, um, in the other room, I have an 85-year-old man who also decided to have a code blue at the same time. Went into a <laughs> they rhythm both called decided. Ventricular... <laughs> yep. yep. Earning your paycheck tonight, folks. <laughs> right. And went into ventricular fibrillation also. Well, we only have, you know, one defibrillator. We only have, you know, a few bodies in the um, whole hospital at 2 in the morning on Christmas Eve because you keep things pretty skeleton staffed. And we had to make a decision. And, and it still makes me sad to this day to think that, you know, we made the decision to stay with saving the life of the young woman who ended up being fine and going on to live a productive life. However, the 85-year-old man did pass away. And it made me sad. It's sad on Christmas Eve. It's sad because if you, you do a lot of the what ifs. What if we'd had more people? What if I could have called his family? What if all of those pieces were there that would have made the outcome better or different? But I went home pretty sad. And um, at that time, we got things called newspapers, and they showed up on the <laughs> front doorstep. And they even had one on Christmas, and I opened it up, and across the front of the um, paper, the big headlines was, Local Santa Claus Dies. Oh. And I thought, oh, that's kind of sad. 
And as I'm reading it, I'm realizing it was my 85-year-old man. You're like, wait, and so this looks familiar. I was, yeah, I was speechless, to say the, say the least, and I felt terrible. Well, this was pre-HIPAA, and so <laughs> it's a small town and a small hospital, so it didn't take very long for me to earn the reputation as the woman who killed Santa Claus. So oh. that was probably one of my first speechless moments that I'll take with me everywhere. <laughs> I could not imagine that having that reputation, especially when you have two kids. Yeah. And you're, you're like a new nurse and you're like, okay, I'm just trying to find my footing. Like, you know, those decisions and like those like outcomes, like there's just comes to a point where you like can't necessarily avoid them, but you're like trying you can't to save everyone. Yes. And like trying to like, you know, you do the best you can with what you have but then when it's like when it's Santa on Christmas Eve and you're like, this cannot be good karma. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> this and this can't be happening. But yeah, I I I feel bad about all of that, but I still feel good about obviously the decision that we made at that time. So Yeah, who knows yuck. what she what that younger patient went on to do, but hopefully Right. right. I mean can just can only do what you can do. But you did right. kill Santa. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, so but I did let that sink in. <laughs> yep. I kind of we did um, uh, awards every year at this hospital, and they did you know employee of the month and employee of the year. And I was lucky enough to get employee of the year one year. And literally over the plaque on the bottom, they put tape that said. Santa's killer. Oh my gosh, stop. <laughs> when they presented my, That's so when they funny. presented it to me, which thank goodness we all have that sense of humor, I guess. Dark, tw- yeah. dark twisty. Yes. It's a different breed in healthcare. It was just like, yeah. ho, ho, hope you enjoy your award. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hope, yes. oh. Well, oh, you really started man. on a low note, so we can only go up from here. <laughs> Can't get any sadder than exactly. that. Exactly. Well, oh, fingers, yeah. fingers crossed. So bring right. us up a bit. What else you got? Well, <laughs> I guess I can jump probably to to when I was um, in family practice, which is so awesome because, you know, the verbiage is you get to take care of patients from birth to death. So you get to see all ages. Well, I was the very first nurse practitioner in the town that we lived in. And so it was a new concept, but because I was a female, I saw mostly a female clientele. And I would say the majority of them were from about age six to 80. Um, So on my young girls, when I would talk to them and see them, we would often talk about sexual activity. And so I would try to make them feel as comfortable as they could and say, you know, let's, let's talk about sexual activity and how many partners you've had and, you know, do you use protection and those things. But I always say to young girls, let's just talk first. Have you had zero partners, zero to five, five to 10 or over a hundred? And all of and them I are like that. zero. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And Zero I and also I'm blushing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I would always add over a hundred because if they'd had more than 10, it sounded like they were terrible. Like I've had the maximum. So I'd always be like over a hundred and then they would be like, Oh good. There's, you know, people who've had. They're like over 10, but yeah. definitely not like, 200. They're, yeah. They're like 14 doesn't sound so bad <laughs> when the last option's over a hundred. Right. <laughs> 
inside. So I'm talking to this young 17-year-old, and I'm I'm asking her those questions. Have you had zero? And she's like, no more. And I'm like, oh, this is an odd way to do this. But okay, (laughs) one to five, no more. Oh, five to ten. And she's like, well, maybe more. And I'm like, greater than 100? And she's like, well, not at the same time. And I kind of paused and thought, okay, I did not ask this right. Maybe she's thinking how many times she's ever had sex. Maybe that's greater than 100. So Still I not at the same time. <laughs> You're like, certainly she misunderstood. Right. So I rephrased the question, and I'm like, how many individual partners have you had? Zero, one to five, five to ten greater than 100. And she just looked at me like I was an idiot and said, um, greater than 100, but not at the same time. She's like, what are you not like, understanding? <laughs> Can you hear she does me? does not get this question. Yeah, she does not get this question. At that time, we were just paper charts. And so I just wrote multiple partners. I figured my speech was going to be the same, whether you'd had 10 or over 100. But I really, really just wanted to talk about the sexual activity at this point, because if she couldn't understand this question, having a discussion about saying no condoms and birth control was going to take a whole You could skip a few chapters. <laughs> like, that's out of the question. You're like, I have two questions. One, who's your math teacher? Because I feel like you're not counting, right? <laughs> and two, did you not talk to my daughter about the STD PowerPoint that I practiced on all of her friends. Like she must've missed the memo. Oh God bless. (laughs) Well, I think that, um, you know, it's funny how you talk about that because um, when you're like the first nurse practitioner, it's kind of novel. And so everybody wants to be part of that. So they're like, we'll have the nurse practitioner come talk. So I had lots of opportunities to do a lot of community talks. I just know that you didn't appreciate the community talks that happened, you know, at school. When we say community talks, it's just like I felt the majority of them were in some way, shape, or form aimed at my brother or myself to to just knock us down a couple pegs socially. (laughs) Yes, which they weren't, of course, because... You know, what a great opportunity to talk about kids, two kids, about being able to avoid getting sexually transmitted infections. I mean, really, that was the point. Not about mission accomplished. No one wanted to know about your social status, Lindsay. Your mom (laughs) was doing her due diligence. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, yeah, those. Those talks, I don't know. It was just hard to recover. And, like, of course, my mom wouldn't write me a note to get out of school on those days. She was, like, expecting me to be, like, front and center. She's like, you need to hear this more than anyone. Yeah. She's like, please be sure to bring, like, your noisemakers, your pom-poms, like, maybe some signs, like, pep rally style. (laughs) Bring that enthusiasm. This is literally why I had, like, three friends. Maybe. Three is generous. (laughs) Oh, and it made it a lot easier. So if any of my kids were dating anyone, I could stand closer to that person and have that discussion. She's just locked in direct eye contact. Like, hey, you just like Like, double. So we don't have to have this conversation in the house. 
Um, let's have right. it at the school. <laughs> I'm not trying to right. shame anyone, but I will be locking eyes with you. It's like reserved yeah. seating with their name on it. Hey, yeah. VIP. Yeah. <laughs> and it it is interesting because when kids come in to to the auditorium piece of it where we had it, they would all be sitting up, you know, looking at me, you know, elbows on their on their desks, really intent. And then as the lecture went on, they were slumped back in their chairs, not making eye contact. You know, some were mouth breathing. I, it was just one of those things like that sweaty. it was fun to watch all of that. Like if yeah. you took everyone's vital signs at the start and then like halfway through, it's just like very interesting research project. I, I remember yeah. how uncomfortable that conversation was just like being a student in the chair and you're like is that person referring to me like I promise I like I don't even have sexual activity like I swear it's not me (laughs) don't don't make eye contact with me and then it's your mom yeah (laughs) tell me right tell me again Vicky how uncomfortable (laughs) you felt (laughs) (laughs) well and I think about the the first talk you have with young girls because you know at that time you know we didn't even boys and girls weren't in the same class and I can remember that fifth grade girls talk having that discussion but then 15 years later I run into a young girl who's now married and has kids and stops me and says oh my gosh I remember when you gave that talk when I was in the fifth grade and I thought I am never having sex and there's no way I can have a baby (laughs) and she goes and here I am married and had a child so I I guess it's you get over that. And I was like, that talk was not to scar you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you will never have a family right? because of this conversation. <laughs> Did she like oh, high right. five you? Like, was she like, look at me, <laughs> look at me now. <laughs> right. Oh exactly. So proud of the fact that like, I was scarred, the but I'm over it. Yes. Stress exactly. Great talk. She's like, I've <laughs> overcome my trauma. Thank you so much. I'm she's confronting you. Her, her, her like trauma yeah. inducer. She's like, look at you. Look at me. All right. We made it. Right. We came out on the other right. side. Oh, no. Oh, that's yeah. That's funny. Stark so it, it, it change was from Santa. To... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, I mean, there's so many of those stories because, you know, young girls just have lots of stories to tell. And they keep a lot of secrets. And so I always felt really privileged that we could at least have really those open and honest conversations. Um and so I, I really liked that part of, of my job in um, primary care. Also, however, from being your yeah. daughter, every time I would be like, oh, I don't feel well. Did not matter what the symptoms were. She was like, why are you pregnant? I was like, okay, calm down. It's strep throat. God, <laughs> lay off a sinus infection. Yes, it was like her way of like trying to trick me into telling her like if I was kissing boys or doing more than kissing boys. And she's just like, well, are you pregnant? I was like, Mom, literally, like I, like I stubbed my toe. And she's like, well, are you pregnant? Jeez. Just one well, to a hundred immediately. <laughs> well, and the rule of thumb is in medicine, every girl between the ages of 13 and 45, you rule out pregnancy first. So it was just an automatic response. You know, if you're coming in for something, the first thing we do is a pregnancy test. That's so, so true. <laughs> you yeah, know, that is actually... It just felt more threatening when it was yeah. like your mom. I was like, God, she must just think right. I'm just like toting all around the town. Like the way that she asks That's me right. once a week if I'm pregnant. That really is such a rule of thumb that you don't think about. And I remember like 
going to the doctor for like the flu or anything. I'm just like, oh, I'm just like nauseous. And they're like, any chance you could be pregnant? And I'm like, no, I'm no. here because I have a fever and I'm nauseous. <laughs> you're Let's li- move on. You're like a virgin, but you're like, oh God, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I'm getting nervous <laughs> taking the pr- pregnancy test. I'm like, I've never like, had I sex all- in my life, yes. but maybe, maybe I am. <laughs> you're like, all of a sudden I forgot how science works and you're making me feel really nervous. Can you get yeah. pregnant by being nervous? <laughs> I'm like imagining myself on 16 and pregnant. I'm like, I don't even know who could be the dad. I've never had sex before. <laughs> it gives oh, a whole shit. new meaning to false positive, right? Right. right. Oh. oh, God. Oh, that is too good. All right. Yeah. What is the grand finale? I mean, we are just all over the map with these two so far. So, well, um, the grand finale is, you know, <laughs> a little morbid. But it is definitely a speechless moment. But it was just, you know, now I look back and and can't help but laugh at it. In the time, it didn't feel all that funny. So as another side gig, um, before I went to nurse practitioner school and and was a nurse, I did eye inoculations or um, corneal um, harvest for the Lions Club. For us peasants, that's plucking eyes, correct? Right. People would pass away, do an organ donation for their eyes or their corneas. You could have the whole eye or just the cornea. And I would go in and and remove the eyes or the corneas and send them in, and they would be used for transplants or um, for science. If I go silent, it's because I fainted. (laughs) I'll pick her her body up later. (laughs) Fine. The show must go um, on. It was a... Right. It was a two in the morning on a Saturday night and we carried a pager at that time. <laughs> and if your pager went off, it actually just wrote across the little screen, which hospital you were to go to. And so my pager went off and, and I got up and, and headed on into the hospital. And um, when you get there, um, you do this in the morgue. And so you go through the ER because the morgues are usually located by the ER. Mm-hmm. And I found the custodian, and he came to open the morgue because the morgue is locked. Um, What I didn't realize, because usually when we go into the morgue, you put your shoe or a brick or something in between the door so it doesn't shut all the way. In my head, I think we, I thought we just did that because it was creepy to be in the morgue alone. Like with the door closed? I now realize (laughs) that if the door closes, it locks both ways. So you can't get out of the morgue without calling the custodian. We can't get into the morgue without calling the custodian. This custodian's like, so, I did not sign up for this. Like, I'm just trying to mop right. the floors. Like, I'm not the the morgue police. Like, I don't want to be in and out of here more than I have to. And I don't know who steals things from the morgue, but I'm sure that there are plenty of people that apparently do or did um, at one time. So oh, no. I go into the morgue, and it's on. about... Right. It's about... 50 degrees in that piece of it. And usually I don't know anything except cause of death. And so I knew that this patient um, was a homicide and it had their throat slit. And so um, the reason we know that or like to know that is because if there's a lot of blood loss, you've got only X amount of time to get in to get the corneas before they're, they dry up and you can't use them. And so I went in and I pulled, you know, opened the cooler and I, I pulled out the gurney and, um, I unzipped the body bag, and as I was unzipping the body bag, something fell out of it and hit the ground and splattered all over, all over me, 
all over the walls, all over the floor. I freaked out. I screamed. I went running towards the door, which I could not get out because it was locked. The phone starts ringing in the morgue, which why would anybody be calling the morgue? And A I didn't horror know what film. to do. I pick right? up the phone, and I'm like, Screaming into the phone. Well, that's why we're, people were calling the morgue, as they could hear screaming from the morgue, and that probably freaked somebody One disaster out. after another. They're like, that room is usually and, so quiet. <laughs> right. And so the custodian came, um, opens up the door, went with me, we went back and looked, and it was the head of the um, deceased person that had oh. fell onto the floor and splattered all over. They told me that the, it was a homicide and he'd had his throat slit. They didn't tell me he was decapitated. Mm. And so there's this head with one eye fishing, one eye hunting, <laughs> and splattering <laughs> all over the place. And I don't know what to do. So two ER nurses, because this is what ER nurses do and don't blink an eye, came back over and helped me lift the head, put it back on the gurney, zipped up the body bag, put it back in the cooler, and I did not take the eyes. Um, they were not you had salva- enough. They were not height. salvageable. <laughs> yep. There were, it was, that was no way I was going to do any more damage to that head, and I'm pretty sure you couldn't use those eyes anyway from what I had done to them by splattering it on the floor. <laughs> did you feel uh, like it was worth the $50 that you got <laughs> for taking well, I the eyes? get it. Because I didn't take the eyes. <laughs> that day, you so, didn't even get it. Did you, you get a raise send... after that trauma? <laughs> I didn't, but the next year, the eye inoculation, corneal harvesting went up to $75. Ooh. So, of course, I couldn't stop. So, you know, <laughs> I like, was, it's just a good side I, hustle. I right? I was, I, I was addicted by then to, you know, that extra money that came in from the eye inoculation. So... Some people start a podcast. Now here, 2021, we start a podcast. But back in the day, it was, you know, a little side hustle. Take out some eyes. Nancy, I think that if you offered me $150 to go with you, I would say <laughs> To no go thanks. with you. <laughs> just to shadow just you. To, just to stand there. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, oh. it is like you've painted this scene. I think, I don't know if it's like the detail or just like the verbs splattered like the way like I just see it happening I'm just like all right that was basically the trailer to the next like horror movie horror movie right and then the phone's ringing yeah oh man shouldn't be what does she do and she's screaming and she's locked in she grabs the door handle and no she can't get out it's like what is the deal with that door that situation right. to me Thanks. is probably the, the lowest point of that whole story also, is why they lock it. Why yeah. does it lock from the inside? Who's going to come out? Yes. <laughs> Who's trying to escape? Well, that's what I mean. Other so than staff in, in dire to, situations. Right. If you were going to go in to steal a body, you know, now you can't get out. I get that. But <laughs> do people really do that? <laughs> do people you know? really need to steal bodies? And also, like, how did they get in right. to start with? Like, I get locking it right. from that side. But once you're in... You got to be able to get out. Right. <laughs> Seems like a right. not, not one time when I did eye inoculations, did I look in the other body bags for jewelry or, <laughs> you know, 
You weren't money like, that was left over. Part pirate. Yeah. You're I like, mean, mm, I wonder if there's any yeah. goodies in here. Like, get out of right. here. Kind of <laughs> rummage through the body bags tonight. Yeah. No one wants to spend more time in no. there than they absolutely need to. No kidding. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that, that, um, that will always stick in my head. So that's why I'm saying, I don't know if I was speechless. I screamed a lot. Yeah, there's um, definitely a lot of sound coming from you. But there, yeah, but I don't know that any of them were actual words. So I think that's why it was speechless. <laughs> that, that's... I'll, I'll assure you now in 2021, there's ways to use technology to badge in and out of a morgue. And Vicky had a very recent experience with the morgue. And so it kind of hits a little too close to home, huh, Vic? It does. <laughs> I still, I'm not a, a big comfortable level when it comes to the morgue and the bodies yet. But <laughs> probably not a bad thing to just never get to that level of comfort. <laughs> right. I think you're doing, right. think you're doing just fine. <laughs> but I was working at the sister hospital of the hospital system that we work at and it was a Friday, so I was in a really good mood and kind of ready to wrap up my shift. And I saw two guys wheeling a patient down the hallway, and I could tell that they were just, like, kind of having a hard time, and they didn't really have enough hands, and I knew that you need to badge in and out. And they were obviously hospital workers. So I was like, oh, I'll get the door for you. <laughs> so I badged, so helpful. I badged them in. I held the door open, and I saw the patient had, like, the blankets all the way over their head. And I was like, man, this guy must be so cold. You know, you know, patients are always always ask for an extra blanket. Right. So I said, (laughs) like, I'm all giddy. And I said, so how's everyone doing today? Like everyone having a good Friday. And the two guys wheeling the body were like, "Mm, yeah, (laughs) like, get out of our faces and I was like okay they might have just you know they maybe they work the Wednesday to Sunday who knows (laughs) they're like it's our Monday buzz off yeah so I was like all right fine and the patient didn't answer just assumed you know really cold doesn't want to talk in the hospital fine and as I open the door and I'm not paying attention but they're just they wheel in and as I'm closing the door there's like the little tiny window and I see them (laughs) open the refrigerators and pull out a tray and it hit me right then and there that I was all giddy asking how a dead person was doing on a nice little Friday (laughs) she texts me and she goes well just badged in and out some people to take bodies of the morgue didn't realize that thought it was just a patient that was really cold with a blanket over their head bye I was was like like, ask them how they were doing (laughs) I want to know if, if anyone said and you have a good day also. Right? <laughs> sure didn't. <laughs> Giant learning <Yeah>. curve. <laughs> I was like, you know, on the upside, she definitely knows where that go that door leads to now. So mm-hmm. when she goes to that hospital in the future, learning experience. I'm never <laughs> holding the door open for anyone in the hospital system ever again, just good. to be safe. I'm, I'm glad that, that was your takeaway. It's just like, don't be polite. Don't hold doors. Yep. End of End of discussion. Oh, man. Gave me goosebumps. Those were (laughs) a solid three. There were ups. There were downs. There were twists. There was turns. There was splattering. (laughs) And so, little transition. If you didn't spend the last nearly four decades of your life in nursing and in the medical field, 
what career do you feel like you could have seen yourself in or just like kind of tugs at you like I wonder what if you know back in the 80s I took a very different path what that would look like um as weird as it sounds I I, my career path probably would have been politics um oh well there's plenty of that in healthcare (laughs) I really uh was somewhat drawn to um, wanting to be a politician. I think part of that mission was, again, changing the world for a little bit better and feeling like policy might be the way to do that. Uh, I also love the fact that you got to talk in front of big groups of people and, you know, people cared about your ideas and, and what you said. At least that's you know, the thought I had about politics, but <laughs> Naivete. in 1984, yeah, women had a very different place in politics than they do now. So I think that um, I wouldn't have been able to make the strides that I would have wanted without compromising a lot of things. So I'm really glad that I um, did the career path that I did with nursing and I, I really wouldn't change a thing. And People often say to me, like, when are you going to be a doctor? Why aren't you a doctor? <laughs> and um, I never really had the desire to be a doctor when I was young and going, you know, through nursing and all of those pieces. So um, this just always seemed right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's more of like, it's like this sweet spot. Like we we know, we work with, we talk to, we're friends with a lot of people that took like a PA route or an NP route and I think there's a lot of reasons for that whether it's like level of autonomy years of school work-life balance like just a a lot of factors that go into it um and it's kind of interesting because I I mean I feel I know even more than most people just growing up watching you make that transition from nursing to a nurse practitioner and all the doors that it opened up for you and I think that's becoming such a huge like growing area because like people see, wow, I, you know, I don't need to go to medical school to become a doctor. I can have that level of autonomy and still do what I love um, in other routes. And so it's kind of cool to see that kind of grow. And, you know, some of our best friends and coworkers took that route. And I think, you know, it's, you hold them in the same regard and the, and the same respect that you would any other medical provider. And I think a lot of people right. don't know that the nurse practitioners and the, the RNs, they're the people who really do a lot of that patient care where the doctors don't have as much of that direct patient care as you would think. And if you really truly feel like you want to make a difference and you want to help people, that's actually probably your better route than becoming an MD or a DO if you want direct patient care all the time. Yeah. Do you like popping in, popping out, being on call, answering calls and texts a million times a day? Like, I don't know. Is it worth the title of being called doctor? (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Sometimes that's like every day I go to work and I see these doctors being doctors and I'm like, oof, nope, no thank you. Right. So it's just, you know, everyone's got to find their, their thing and, you know, everything comes with pros and cons and like there's always parts of your job you absolutely love and those just have to outweigh the parts that you aren't so crazy about and you know there's so much out there and I think you know when probably when you went back to school again like you were saying like NPs it just like really wasn't like 
taking off yet. And I think probably now that you look at it and you see like so many people, especially like younger nurses, like either doing that right away or, you know, being in the field for a few years and then going back to that kind of taking the same route you did. You're like, wow, it's like pretty cool to have been on the front kind of lead starting paving side the of way that. for that. Yeah. Yeah, I would definitely see that. It, it felt it felt very lonely at the beginning, paving the way and trying to explain what I was. Um, there's such a level of respect at that time that they wouldn't let me go by Nancy. When I went to start to work, they're like, what should we call you? And I'm like, <laughs> Nancy. And they were like, nope, you need to have a title. And I'm like, well, you're not calling me Nurse Nancy. Right. And so Nurse Nance. They were like, <laughs> Yeah, Nurse Nancy so they were Dance. like, we're going to call you Mrs. Ryan. And so <laughs> how like, strange, okay. you know, we have Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so, Dr. So-and-so you can see, or you can see Mrs. Ryan. And it's so funny how that title was so important to the clinic I worked at to give me some level of respect. But every single person I would see, I would say, you can call me Nancy, <laughs> you know, but they never did. They, they always were, you know, Mrs. Ryan. So my husband always said, you know, those doctors had to go to school for like, you know, 17, you know, years <laughs> to get the title of doctor. And all you did is have to marry me to get your title. And if you know my dad, um, that's his humor, yeah. folks. In a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we really appreciate you being on and sharing all of your stories and sharing. Can I share one time. more story? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your mom, mom so I can't really I tell wanna... you no. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to share one more story about um, a patient of mine that I had a patient for. She was probably mine for the 20 years that I was there. And every year um, she'd come in, of course, for her pap and pelvic. And so she um, was a large woman. She had quite a pendulous um, stomach, and she was um, a pretty, you know, brittle diabetic with it. Uh, didn't really care about lifestyle changes, didn't really care about those things. And so we didn't spend a lot of time talking about what you should do to better your health because, really, she had no desire to do it. Um, but she was good about coming in at least for yearly exams and doing, and doing those things. And so it was the day for her pap and pelvic, and um, I actually, you know, had the whole discussion with her. And then for the exams, I step out and have them switch on a gown and then come back in. And I came back in um, to get ready to do the pap and pelvic, and she said, there's just one area I want you to really look at. It's really kind of itchy and irritated and bothersome, <laughs> and it's right underneath my belly, and I can't see it. And you're and like, I'm that's like, not a pap and pelvic. <laughs> you're like, not quite no, the area I was going to check. Yeah. But, <laughs> but while um, we're here. a lot of times my larger women will have the pants and they will rub on there and cause like a yeast or an irritation or right. those things. So that's what I expected to see or find. So I um, had her, you know, put her feet up in the stirrups and I lift her large um, <laughs> pendulous abdomen and underneath it is a perfectly square piece of cheese <laughs> oh my God. that is just oh. sitting underneath the flap for God only knows how long. Oh, and you know, part of this was it Swiss, cheddar, <laughs> Munster. Yeah, yeah I'm guessing. It was definitely you know, aged. <laughs> right. Maybe an aged cheddar. 
Butunch. Processed, yeah. Processed cheese obviously can live through anything because it looks pretty intact. Oh, God. So many preservatives. In my speechless moment, I said, well, I think what the problem is, is you there's a piece of cheese stuck to the under <laughs> side of your abdomen. And she said, damn it. I wondered where that went. <laughs> So, she's like, my cracker to cheese ratio is off, and I had no idea why. Like, I knew we I laughed. lost it. Yeah. We laughed. We whatever. Oh. I definitely removed the cheese in itself, <laughs> which was probably the oddest thing I've removed yeah. off a body. And, um, yeah, and went ahead and, you know, gave her some cream and those kind of things to, to make the irritation go away. But every time I saw her after that, whether it was in the grocery store or on the street or in the office, she would always start the greeting by, hey, do you have any cheese? (laughs) At the grocery store, she's like in the cheese aisle pointing at you. (laughs) She's like shaking a bag of like shredded cheese. She's like, oh. And there's those moments that most people I would think would be really embarrassed or really sad by that. And she was just. Not mortified at all. And, yep, nope, and it was great and, and really never let it die. We just kept talking about it for years to come. That so, might just show um, how comfortable you make your patients feel. Yeah, Mom, maybe <laughs> she, a little too She had no embarrassment. Nope, nope, she didn't. Public <laughs> service announcement. Please check your folds. <laughs> just like every now and again, give her a little scrub-a-dub-dub. Be thorough in the shower. Like I swipe mean, your hand through there. Get like the crumbs out. Grab, grab a trusted loved one. Have them check vacuum. if you really can't see. I'm a vacuum. A vacuum. Just like little hand back. One little swipe. Oh right. no! How do you drop a piece of cheese and it finds its way over your stomach, under your stomach, up into a flap and stick? And then it's just like you know. Yep. And just lived there. It yeah, burrowed, yep. made a little nest, oh, felt comfortable. No. You think twice about eating cheese, I'll tell you that. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's just like, okay, so then you're like, okay, great. Pap and pelvic time. Like you're trying to recover. You're like, that's not even why you weren't here. And that better be the only yep. thing that I find that shouldn't be where it's supposed to be. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like Now I'm scared of what exactly. else I'm going to yes. see. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. And no. those are completely different stories. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. That's... We're going to have to have you on for a part two and a part three because I could only imagine. Just barely scratching the surface here. Oh yeah. Oh. Um, well, well, thank you so much. We just want to end on if there is any sort of patient quote, funny, sad, high, low, or indifferent, a little quote that kind of stays with you to end on. Um, I think about this quote, I guess it comes from two different people, but it's the same words with different meanings. Um, I had a gentleman in, who was in x-ray who had an anaphylactic reaction to the dye. Ooh. And so I came over from the ICU to see what I could do to help. And I was by his head, and as they were getting ready to put the breathing tube down him because it was so bad, he looked at me and he said, in his 28 years, Today is not the day I'm going to die. And I said, okay. And he said, just sit with me and hold my hand. And I did. And then fast forward 35 years later in hospice, and I'm sitting on the edge of a 28-year-old male's 
bed who I was trying to help get comfortable. And I said, how are you doing? And he looked at me and said, I'm doing good. Today is a great day to die. Wow. Just, yeah, just sit here and hold my hand. Yep. Wow. So (sighs) those are the words that come on the two different spectrums of my career that kind of summarize kind of up everything I've done. Yeah. yeah, the ups, the downs, all the moments. Oh, it really mm-hmm. sounds like you should retire now. Just quit while you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You've done it all. Oh, that, that's a that. full, yeah. full yeah, circle that is story. Full circle. Hey, for whatever it's yeah. worth, you've got yeah. my vote to retire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why, thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for being our first guest. And telling and the three probably best stories we'll hear. <laughs> yeah, it was a oh. lot. It was a lot to take in, well, a lot to I, digest. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate it. And like every good healthcare worker, we all have these great stories, and we love to sit around and talk about them. And usually there's an alcoholic beverage involved, but <laughs> with or without the alcoholic beverage, they're still fun to to hear people's experiences and stories. So I look forward to continuing to be um, listening to this podcast. Perfect. We'll have you back for round two sooner than later. Thanks, Nancy. All right. Bye. You bet. We've had a blast hearing this week's guests, but we know there are more wild stories to be heard. Share your crazy moments with us at info at speechlesspod.com. Show us some love, rate, review, and subscribe. We'll be back next week with another guest who will be sure to leave you speechless. speechless.